This is Kooning having a conversation with Talk Pop C resident philosopher Schottenkirk in Carroll Gardens, Brooklyn. It is November 2019. Hello, I'm Dr. Dina Schottenkirk. Uh, thank you for coming. Your name is? Oh, my name is Kooning. Um, thanks for having me. Great. So what we're doing in this sort of series for Talk Popsy is we're going around and asking people what they think about art. So the general topic is art is cognition, but you don't have to think of it like that. You don't have to think of it in terms of the knowledge that we might get from art. You might argue that we don't get knowledge, that we do something else entirely. So the question was kind of, in general, what do you think the function of art is? For you, maybe, or in general. Right. My understanding of it changes over the course of the past few years, for sure. Like in my undergraduate years, I think even week to weeks, I have different ideas about what art is supposed to be and art is supposed to do to myself or to the world. Um, and right now I'm at the point that, that I just think it's uh, it's just an alternative lifestyle. Or like it's a habit. It could be understood as a habit, but it... I mean, a habit could be a profession as well. Um, yeah. So you're looking at it from the perspective of people that do art. Yes. Yeah. Or like potentially want to um, seriously make something. Yeah. Um, so, so do you think that, I guess you're right, right? There's two different takes on it. You can either think of the function of art for the people who make it, the makers, right? Or you can think of the function of art for the people who view it. Yes. Right? Yes. So you're thinking about from the inside, so to speak, of the makers. Yes. And so you think it's an alternative lifestyle. I suppose that's true, right? Uh, on a on a very kind of immediate level, right? It's a different lifestyle. That is true. That's yeah, I mean, like, why a lot of people uh, do it, right? Yeah. I think just, uh, I think what I mean by lifestyle is just like you spend time on doing things that doesn't generate immediate value or money. like money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it's, it's a very poorly called cost effective way of spending time. Yeah. I think that's the point of art in some way. Well, this is where a lot of parents of course complain about their, you know, whenever a kid says to a parent, Oh yeah, I want to be an artist or I want to be a poet or musician or whatever, the parents are often say, oh, but how are you going to possibly make a living right. off of that, right? right. And it, because it's a really different thing, I think, making art than it is having a very pragmatic, practical profession that's going to generate immediate returns, right? Your head's in the clouds. You're not thinking about practical things in life. So I thought that's what you meant by a different kind of choice, life choice. I guess we can figure out what's your minimum... Uh, standard for living. Yeah. Yeah. Like how? The purpose of life. The purpose of life. <laughs> yes. Like yeah. apart from the material needs. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, and that's a very, it's a, it's a problematic thing because we're not just barnyard animals, mm -hmm. right? We're not meant to just probably eat and sleep and procreate, right? In the end, you hope that we do something besides that. Yes. Right? <laughs> yes. And I think artists are always very attuned to that. Like we're supposed to do something besides just that. I think it's in that way, it's very similar to philosophy. It's like... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Horribly so. It's it's like horribly serious matters yes, in a way yeah. that people don't want to bother. Um, Often. Yeah. And, and successfully avoid. 
Yes. I think most people can live a whole life and successfully avoid those really difficult questions that philosophers and artists ask every single day. Mm-hmm. Right? Why am I here? What does all this mean? Right. How can I make it meaningful? Right. Right? Yeah. <clears throat> Which that goes back to like when you asked me about like the view to see it in a different viewpoint as a v- viewer and maker. Cause I, for me, that's, um, such a, it's such a difficult question because without a certain level of, um, structural education, you wouldn't be able to even view it. In yeah. A way. So you have I to, think that's true yeah. for contemporary visual art, especially, right? Yeah. If you don't know the conversation, you can't enter into it yeah. and figure out what's being said. I think that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that you were onto something there when you were saying that there are those people, artists among them, philosophers, who are constantly trying to figure out what the world is and figure out their place in the world. And so those activities are tasks that they set before themselves in order to help themselves figure out what everything means and what they themselves mean. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's a real hard day to day, unending problem. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and if that's true, right, if it's like a, a life choice, then maybe people don't really choose it. Maybe it's something that you're just sort of born into. You're just yes. that kind of person. Yes. You think so? But at the same time, I think it's it probably, especially in nowadays, it's probably not that absolute. It's not like you have to do this eight hours a day. You can still get a day job and like yeah. do art in your free time. Yeah. It's just a different kind of hobby than like watching football games. But I think that what I, that's why I sort of brought up the hobby thing. Huh. It's like, it's, it's another form of pastime, like how you pass time. It's like, like how you deal with boredom in a way. Really? Yeah. Huh. Because it could the be. stereotype. All yeah. right. So the stereotype, and sometimes they're true, sometimes they're not, right? Is that, um, People are kind of compelled to do art, compelled to make art. Are you kind of born an artist? You don't have a lot of real choice in the matter. That's just kind of your DNA, right? And that it's hard for people who are meant to be artists to then get a suit job and turn up at a business and do that. That it's just a total mismatch of temperament and activity. That's the stereotype. But you think it's a little more fungible and a little more... Yeah, Less think, black and white than that. Yeah, I think like everyone has the potential to be an artist. You think it's, everyone has the potential yeah, to be so an artist? Yeah, so it's just, just as everyone has the potential to be a philosopher, if they like want enough, like they have enough will to do so. Mm. But that will is probably not, it's probably something inherent, like as you say, like born mm. with, mm. Um, which I more and more leaning towards that idea. Like there's a lot of things that we or designated, maybe designated is the wrong word, but yeah, like born with, yeah, like yeah, that like a like a butterfly, yeah, butterfly effect. Yeah, I remember hearing a friend of mine um, say that being an artist was like having a really bad virus. <laughs> you just had it, and you couldn't get rid of it. <laughs> yeah. So switch to the the viewer. Then, what do you think the viewer then gets out of this? Gets out of by uh, going to a gallery or yeah. view a piece of art. Yeah, yeah. And and you're probably right that you have to have some amount of expertise already in the in the discipline in order to really view it. Although, you know, there are tons of people, these blockbuster shows and museums all the time are pulling in people that really don't have that much education in right. it, but they kind of like going through and looking. 
maybe you want to talk about both kinds of viewers. Yeah, maybe that was like too much of a condescending statement, well, but no. I think it was, it was like too fully understand the intention behind the work you have you sort of have to like get into the mind of the maker and yeah. i would like to fully appreciate yeah like what it was going even even okay, though so you think that's what i think you're right that's yeah. what viewers are getting out of it is that they're somehow getting into the mind of the maker that's mm -hmm. a very nice phrase right yeah. so in order to get into the mind of the maker mm -hmm. which i think you're right how does that happen can you talk a little bit about the expertise that's needed mm. how you think that happens um, or do you think it was always the case or do you think it's just a case in the last 50 years or hundred years or 20 years? Maybe it's been always been the case, but it's probably not like a popular idea, like not or like a wide spreading practice that people do since, um, like the means of communication was limited in a way. It's like in, um, like, give me a date. What are you thinking of? Like what year? What year? Yeah. Um, I mean, Renaissance would be like a good example. I okay. think like yeah. uh, the apprenticeship um, that like not just carried down the uh, techniques, but like the essence of the creativity, uh. like the, the creative core that that can um, that could adopt any historical uh, moment in a way. It's like, but so there, the viewers in the Renaissance, right? They had pretty easy access to the work. Yes. That's, I think, generally agreed upon, right? So at what point do you think viewers were demanded differently of? Is that modernism? Is that postmodernism? I think modern, modernism. Modernism. Yeah. yeah. Modernity changed the whole thing. Yeah. Like the whole, uh, like the structural thinking of modernism. So at that point in time, it demanded a certain level of connoisseurship from the viewers. Yes. Right? Which is a certain kind of educational capacity. Yes. Right? People had to be willing to be educated about what they were looking at in ways that they hadn't had to have been before. Is that what you're thinking? If they want to follow the like academia way of looking at those things. Yeah. I think there's still a lot of artists who's like yeah. entire practice is against this path. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that was I think that point that you're making is exactly the point that happened in America when there was all the debates about the funding mm. uh, of the arts in America, because a lot of people, sort of regular, ordinary people that legislators were responding to, were saying, why should the NEA make these decisions about this wacky kind of art? I know what, I can look at art just like anybody else can, and I have a right to make those decisions. And so there was this real resistance to the notion of the expertise yes. in, in the viewer. And, and you're kind of arguing... And, and I think I would agree with you that the notion of expertise in art is a completely legitimate notion, mm -hmm. that it takes a lot of education, just like it would in science, right? Yes. You know, I can't look at a scientific journal and have the understanding that a biologist would have or a chemist would have or somebody who knew that discipline, mm -hmm. right? Yes. And, and that seems understandable to people, you mm -hmm. know, that you'd have expertise in science. Right. But a lot of people are really resistant to the idea that you'd have expertise in art. Right. And they feel like the art should be accessible to someone without having to have a lot of education. So give me the argument against that position. Why is it okay to demand a great amount of education in your viewers in order for them to understand what they're looking at? And we don't mean education in the pedantic, you have to have X number of degrees. Right. You, we mean education in the, you have to be exposed 
to the history of art and to the history of ideas and where we are today, that notion of, ex right? That notion of education? I think we, we shouldn't demand the viewers to do anything. We shouldn't. <laughs> they, we shouldn't. They, they should have their free will. I mean, there's no free will, but. Oh, but wait a minute. I'm confused because I thought that you were arguing that, I thought you were arguing that viewers can't just come in and understand what's in front of them in a gallery if they don't have some amount of education and connoisseurship about the conversation. I'm saying if they don't have that, they wouldn't be able to fully enter access to the work and to like, in a way, benefit from the creation of another person. Uh -huh. But it's not necessarily to do so because no necessity Oh, because we're not going to find them or chase well, we're them not, out we're not going to like force them to like study it. Right. Right. You know? Of course. Like, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And there's like no, yeah. Right. But give me, of course, no one's forcing anybody to, but the argument that I took you were making was that if someone is going to walk into a gallery now and really understand what's going on, they have to have had a little education about it beforehand. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. We're good on that. Okay, good. Yes. So tell me why. Maybe we can take um, television as an example. Let's say a person who just read Baudrillard and like started watching television, they will see television with a complete different sets of lens. And to read it, to have um, multiple or like um, alternative uh, ways of understanding it than a person who didn't read Baudrillard, just take the television shows in their face value. I think that's the difference, like to taking something in face value and to view the alternative uh, side of okay. the thing. All right. Let me give that back to you for a second. All right. So face value, mm -hmm. right? To take something at face value would be a very untheoretical, directly empiricist reading of something, mm -hmm. right? I see something and running in front of me. Right? Yes. So it's just the narrative of that, right? Yes. The other thing that you were giving was the lens through which to view it. Yes. Right? All right. So let's compare those two. So the straight empirical narrative is it's right in front of you. Yes. And the lens it's common one, sense. The lens one is a critical interpretive thing. Yes. Right? So can you talk a little bit more about how the theoretical gives somebody a lens through and that's a very nice metaphor, a lens. Mm -hmm. Right? So the lens is like a prism. Yes. Right? So you see things in a slightly different way. It's not so direct anymore. It's not just the empirical fact. Now mm -hmm. you're seeing it critically through a lens. Can you talk a little bit about how art's so dependent on that now and what that means? I know that's a really hard question. <laughs> it's really the role. I'm asking you for the role of theory, I think. Yes. Right? I think I used to be someone who's like strongly against analytical art, but yeah. now I just think it's just, uh, just one branch of contemporary art yeah. that, um, so when you get it, can you give me an example of looking at something through a particular lens, a critical lens an art that demands it? You can go back anytime in the history of modernism. Maybe it's easier to go back earlier. I don't know. You know what came to mind? All right. Mind? The, the, well, yeah, please, yeah. please, cubism. please. Cubism. Okay. Yeah, that's like a really dumb example, but it's a pretty good one. Right. So you're not looking at just the, the empirical narrative object in front of you, right? You're no right. longer looking at just a vase, right? right? You're looking at the vase through this theoretical lens, which is a kind of post-Cezanne, yes. breaking it up into its component parts. Mm -hmm. and The four-dimensionality and the 
the yeah. time, how to represent time with within yeah, a two really two dimensional plane. Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't get that if you didn't have the yeah, yeah. So, uh, historical. So it's, it's true, and I don't know if it, yeah, you say that. I don't know if anybody's ever written about how. So cubism comes in about 1911, right? Something like that. Mm-hmm. I think that that's when you get the <laughs> first Picasso of the guitar, and then it goes into. He goes into cubism after that with Brock, right? I think so. I think it's like that. And so then it's 1905, right? When Einstein publishes his paper on relativity. Right. So I, I wonder if anyone ever made a connection between those two, because you're right. It's a very different view of time and space, which really couldn't have happened without yes. relativity theory. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of assuming that that was all in the air, but you're right. So there's a lens. Mm-hmm. Right. There's a very perfect lens. I'm not looking at objects anymore the way we've always looked at objects. We're looking at objects differently. Right. Right. But it's not the empirical fact hasn't changed. It's just the theoretical could be looked at like this. This is a different way of critically viewing the world. Right. So the narrative of the world around us is now just little pinholes that we look through in order to see these theoretical constructs that exist right next to them. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So art is very much about that and has been for a long time. Yes. And now it's to a point that is like specialized in misread or misinterpret theory to create like to like hyperlize new theories. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. It is true. Like the futility of it becomes the central project in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I think right now that's true. I think that that's true right now. Yeah. But I guess the irony would be the most successful or it would be the the least uh, materially appreciable. Mm, You mean directly? Directly. Materially. Yes. Materially. Yes. Yeah. Because it is the kind that maybe makes you think more, right? The value of thinking, I think, is embedded in art now in ways that it never has been in the whole history of art. I think thinking is an essential part of art. And I think that that's kind of what makes it really hard for people who are not initiated into that conversation to enter into that conversation. Yeah. I think even, even for, a per, for a person who's educated in the art field, it's very hard for them to like push the thoughts. I think so. Yeah. It's because it's very tiring. It's very tiring. It's very tiring. It I, is. I could barely read yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like two pages every day. Yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. It is true. Yeah. And so what, how would you respond, right? This is sort of a, this is sort of a hypothetical question, right? But how would you respond to that person who objects to that, who says, no, art owes me this accessibility. Art owes me the chance to walk in and without any prior knowledge, without any theory behind me to walk in and look at it and get it. What do you think about that? I think they can still get stuff, you uh-huh. know, like it's a piece of paper. It's like yeah. pile of trash. Uh-huh. They can still get this and be contempt about it. I think that's, they still get a reaction uh-huh. and that's, that's good. Okay. So that, that's a, that's a wonderful, tolerant, Right. Accepting kind of point of view. Like, yeah, you got something. Maybe you didn't get the whole story, yeah. but you got something. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, and sometimes that's enough. Yeah. Right. You take away what you want to take away from it. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so that's a sort of, all right. So that's a very kind of relativistic point of view, right? Yeah. Your, your knowledge is very relative to you. It's whatever you see. It's whatever you get that mm-hmm. you walk away with. Right. But that's, that's in pretty radical contradistinction to what you were saying at the beginning, which is in order to really understand that artist's point of view, you have to really know that point of view. Yeah, right. maybe that's like more no, so no. to a series or maker. Yeah, or like yeah. at least that's like yeah. a standard I want to put on myself at this point. I don't yeah. know. Um, as a viewer. As a maker. As a maker. Because uh-huh. I feel that's hard for me. Yeah. Cause, so yeah, because yeah. you, you have a story to tell and you want people to get it. So So what you're explaining now is that artists have a story to tell. They have a very individual point of view, right? They have something they're saying. That's the general way of people articulate it, right? I'm trying to say X, right? Whatever that is. And there are going to be a small minority of people who are perhaps educated enough and sophisticated enough in the whole dialogue that they're going to get that full story of whatever that X is. But then maybe 90% of the people who see it or 95% of the people are going to get just small percentages of that X, right? Very relative to their own particular interests, not particularly matching up with what the artist has to say, but just relative to their own interests. And you're kind of going, that's okay. That's good enough. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. It's more than enough. That's a lot. 10% yeah. of the population. That's, that's huge. Yeah. Yeah. So then switch to the maker now. I mean, sorry, switch to the viewer. Those people that aren't getting it entirely, right? Those people who aren't particularly knowledgeable about the conversation in contemporary art, what do you think they get out of it? Is it knowledge? Are they, because now they're not getting knowledge of somebody else's point of view because they don't completely understand that point of view. Mm-hmm. Right? What are they getting? Mostly novelty. Novelty? Yeah. Huh, I think you're probably right. And that's plenty. If, is it? If, yeah. If they're yeah. willing to see it, that's like the first uh, step towards yes. something that's like further. So, how does novelty distinguish itself from distraction? Why is it not mere distraction? Hmm. Um, like TV. I think it's very hard to distinguish distraction and novelty at this age of time. It's like you yeah. wake up <laughs> in your bed, in, in your bed, you like start swiping in Instagram and you will think, oh, wow, I'm like seeing something new. Yeah. But how do you even distinguish whether you're just procrastinating or you're like actually <laughs> doing the image, like participating in the image circulation. It's very hard to, to like categorize things. And novelty is a totally interesting idea. Yeah. And, and our addiction to novelty. Yes. Um, but I'm not sure how it gets distinguished from just plain old fashioned distraction. I guess when you say distraction, that means there is something that you should be focused on. There's like a, oh, in like, order to have distraction, you have to be distracted from something from which you should not be distracted. Yes. Yes. You I should get have, your point. Yeah. You right. should have like a, like a goal or like a plan. Yeah. That something s- that you should have been paying attention to. Yes. Yeah. So, all right. So, all right. That, I got to give it to you. So in order to be distracted, that presupposes that you had something better to do, maybe. Yes. Although that we all kind of, many people say this, right? We all live in sort of a heightened state of sort of ADHD, right? We all live in this constant distracted state. And maybe at the core of that distraction is just a vacuum. 
and nothing from which we are actually distracted. Yeah, uh, I think it's just a way we deal with um, excessive time in a way. Yeah, excessive time. Yeah, yeah. and uh, it's how we deal with boredom. Yeah. That's what I said. Art is probably a better alternative than spending, like or making would be a better alternative than waste your time. Oh, I guess both are, right? Yeah, they're, 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 it's just wasting time in a yeah. different way. Yeah, it's, yeah, right. So, so makers right now that there's this option of going ahead and making art, right? Mm-hmm. Even if you're not really have the calling for to be an artist, right? You have that option to make art in that kind of hobby way. And that is kind of, you're saying, a sort of eh, solution to boredom. You've got, you only have to work 30 hours a week or 40 hours a week, but you really have like a whole lot more time. You don't have to yes. go do anything else. But um, it could also be problematic because um, um, this idea of producing things and achieving, um, it becomes the same as working. Like, What do you mean? It's like I was reading this article about like nowadays there's no amateur culture anymore. Everyone expects you to be a pro, even at your hobbies. Like if you're not a pro, you're not even, um, you shouldn't be even like, Putting it Telling, out there. Yeah, putting it out there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like, a, there's like a certain level of expertise people expect from you. Huh. Or, yeah. Even in hobbits. Uh, hobbits. No, yeah, I mean- I wonder if I that's mean, true. You know, because there used to be, what were they called? Naturalists. Naturalists. Right? It was a wonderful word and it meant you weren't really a biologist, right? You didn't have the training, huh. but it was kind of your hobby. And you walked around looking at things in nature. Now, I thought it was a nice word, naturalist. Right. And we don't have that concept anymore. We do have yeah. artists. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. What, what does that even mean anymore? I'm an artist, but it's, it seems like it carries so much negative connotations now yeah. for some reason. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, no, I think I was, I, I was talking about the, the, the production, the idea of you have to produce in order to be meaningful. Yeah. That's kind of somehow problematic for me. Um, Tell me why. You mean in order to be worthwhile? Yes. That's what you mean. Or like, there's a, there's a value, um, there's a judgment in there. Like say like you work 10 hours a week on this painting versus you work 10 minutes per week. There's going to be a judgment, right? Like. You think, I think a lot of times people just don't care. It depends on what you end up with, right? No painting sell for more just because more time was spent on them. Really, nobody really cares in the end. I think it depends on. Wow, that's a great point. If uh, you don't care about the outcome, that wouldn't matter. Yeah, you care about just how good it is in the end. Sometimes good results from huge amounts of work, and sometimes it results from not. I mean, yes. you've seen things where people have just spent an inordinate amount of time on it. And you just kind of went, you know what? That's kind of a waste of time. Right. You know? Yeah, maybe like uh, uh, my whole point. Uh, maybe the point I'm trying to make is a. Uh, Wasting time sometimes productive. Yeah. Yeah. Is it like part of the process? But we have more time to waste now, you were saying. Everybody does. Yes. The makers. But the this viewers, time has everybody. been um, like looted by all these like social <gasps> media outlets and uh, right. overtime working hours and this like. Oh, I actually. The whole okay. atmosphere is like okay, of being, point. you have to like work extra. Because right. of this you competitive. You just like kill time. Yes. Oh, okay. So that perhaps connects back to your thing about no more amateurs. Like it, people used to feel like they could just kill time being an amateur or they could just kill time 
you know, piddling around with this or piddling around with that. And that kind of level of unseriousness doesn't exist anymore, which is kind of contradictory in some ways, right? Because now that we have all this extra time and all these meaningless things fill it up, but they're not meaningless things that bring us any sense of comfort. Yes. It just brings anxiety. It brings because anxiety. When you, yeah. while you're doing these things, you'll think, you'll imagine that someone else is out there studying or like. Oh, that is interesting. Yeah, I was reading this book called uh, Burned Out Society and uh, in the part, well, the, uh, the writer's name, but he was saying how we're transitioning from a disciplinary society to an achieving society. So in the achieving society, you are a predator and a prey at the same time. You're constantly competing you're not just exploiting yeah. others, but it's yeah. an interlocked chain system that um, no matter where you are at the social uh, social structure, you're always competing. And but maybe it's also what you were saying before that that because everything is so public now, that doesn't really leave space for the amateur messing around person, right? The minute you put something out there, which is what everybody does, right? You do something and you put it out there. You now have this kind of implicit demand for professionalism. Yeah. And because of the gaze, because of the gaze of others. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we don't have that opportunity just to dilly dally around anymore. Right. So how does that lack of opportunity affect both the makers of art and the viewers of art? If people don't have, the the luxury, I guess that's the right word, right? It's an odd word to use in this context, right? But if people don't have the luxury to not be professional, right? Then you don't really have people doing hobbies in art so much as people being anxious about their lack of accomplishment, right? Everyone wants to be the best. Everybody wants to be the best, right? So you don't have anybody doing paint by numbers anymore, right? Or whatever people did as a hobby, you know, paint the little birds in the backyard or whatever, right? And viewers probably don't have it as a hobby anymore either, right? Because there's a big demand for professional viewing. You have to know everything about Man Ray if you're going to a Man Ray exhibition, right? Or people will start judging you. Or people will start judging you, right? But then a lot of times what people end up knowing is sort of the silliest of the facts about Right. So bio becomes very important. Right. People talk a lot about the biographies of artists, for example, I've noticed, because that's something that they can easily memorize and talk about. And then they look like they know what they're talking about. They didn't just stand in line for three hours at MoMA for nothing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe that's interesting. So it's the demand for expertise that's motivating all of that. So then the function of art now to get back to the original question, right? The function of art's changed a lot for both viewers and the artist. And the function has changed how? Let's tie this back in. Do you feel like art is becoming more mainstream in the past like yeah, yeah. 40 years? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I think yeah. that's that's what made it, yeah. made the change. Yeah. Both more mainstream and fewer people who really are connoisseurs. Yes. Both. And it's not just the fewer percentage that are connoisseurs. It's like the fewer raw numbers that are connoisseurs. (laughs) So it's both, right? And I think it's probably the mechanism that we were just talking about, right? That because everything has to go public immediately, that everybody feels that they have to be on top of their game. Uh, And because also everybody has much more time than they used to, 
but paradoxically don't have the opportunity just to piddle that time away, now you get a greater demand on both the viewers and the artists to be experts. That's not a very happy story that we've just told. <laughs> right? Well, maybe we should finish it there before we get more thoroughly depressed. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that depressing, I feel like, in a way. Um, it's just, just an illusion, in Why? a way. Why? Just one way of looking at it. Even though it's the exist, even though it's the perfect interpretation of existing structure, um, you don't have to participate in it. It's just a lens. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, that is. You're probably right about that. That's like before sort of, this conversation, we weren't depressed because yeah, yeah. we're not looking we at it this way. That, yeah, it's the slipperiness of looking at the world through all these theoretical lenses. Yeah, yeah, but it's, there is no, there is no non-theoretical empirically straight story, I don't think. No. I think we always have to look at it through some lens. Yes, because we, like, we're literally speaking English right now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 which is, yeah, you're right, language is a lens. Yeah. Yeah. But that, that's, that's what's relieving for me, because I know for a fact that uh, the core of everything is just nothingness. Yeah. And that's, like, pretty relieving. Yeah. I, I yeah. yeah. It's a very Buddhist point, but I think it's very true. Yeah. Nagarjuna, void. Void, yes, yeah. void. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so so what's the point then of looking at what's the point? all these lenses? Then that's kind of back to art, right? If art is nothing but presenting lenses to look at reality, then what's the point if there really isn't any reality there anyway? That's what, um, maybe that's the meaning part when the meaning part kicks in. It just Is it then anything like Instagram? <laughs> but maybe like another question would be what's the point of not living you know? yeah yeah that, what, what, I, the, I think what it are would, the options yeah i think it's not uh it's not like it, they have no meaning that i don't want to leave that that would be bizarre uh argument i feel i used to be thinking it's like living is about figuring out maybe it's not even about figuring out it's just that's too big of a question for me no i don't think it is too big of a question i mean i think you. i don't have a, i think you're right i don't have a perfect yeah. answer for that yeah it, yeah any answer i give out yeah. would be like if it's yeah weird so maybe it's not the figuring out in the way that figuring out takes us to the right answer maybe it's figuring out that the process of trying to figure out is a thing in itself and that's pretty fun hmm. and art is just a big way that we do that process of trying to figure things out. And it's not going to ever get us to a final answer or a final lens or a final perspective, but it's the maneuverability of going back and forth around all of those different lenses that kind of gives us the options about what it means to be human, right? This person looks at it like this, this person mm -hmm. looks at it like that, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So I think what art might give us is that maneuverability of looking through all of those different people's viewpoints. Yes. Freedom. Freedom. Yeah. Yeah. Or like remind us that freedom, it could be a freer way of living. Yeah. Yeah. Even though you probably wouldn't practice it, but. It's good to know. Yeah. 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 Practicing it might be a little dizzying. Yeah. Yeah. But it's good to know. Thank you, Kuning. I was the resident philosopher in this conversation with Kuning who is an artist and was originally from China, immigrating to New York as a teenager and remaining here. We begin by originally looking at art from the perspective of the makers of art, 
And Kooning posits that the function of art is to give yourself a different kind of lifestyle. He says it's a way of spending time that's not very cost effective. You are not thinking about how one can make money. Instead, he thinks it's just about thinking about the purpose of life. I add to this by saying that we are not just barnyard animals who are only meant to sleep, eat, and procreate. We are meant to do something else than that. Kunig finishes this thought by using that wonderful phrase, horribly serious matters, in describing the queries that philosophers and artists ask every single day. If that is a life choice, I ask Kooning if that is something that people are born into. Are artists just born that way, with those preoccupations? Kooning offers, though, a different point of view. That some people are not just born artists, but that being an artist is the contemporary person's way of dealing with the boredom that's part of our cultural world. He thinks that everyone could and can be an artist. This is a fascinating point of view, and he develops it further into the conversation. He then states that what viewers are meant to be doing is to get into the mind of the maker. And I ask him how it is that viewers get into the mind of the maker. He begins with the example of the Renaissance and how it was in that era that viewers were able to readily access the mind of the artist. This he contrasts with the viewer's position after modernism. I concur with him and add that after modernism, people had to be willing to be educated, to be more like connoisseurs. Koenig moderates this point by arguing that even though if a viewer wants to fully access the artist's viewpoint, then education and connoisseurship is required. But, he says, it's not necessary to fully understand. The viewer's free will is also present. We can't figure that someone know those things, and even if they don't, there is an experience possible. They can get whatever they get out of the artwork, even though it's not full access to the artist's intentions. I repeat and emphasize his two phrases— to take it at face value, and the lens through which to view it. And I ask him to contrast the former phrase, which is empirical, and the latter phrase, which is critical. I ask him to give a particular example that requires the viewer to look through a lens, and he says cubism. Good choice. You can't, he plausibly argues, understand cubism just by looking at it without looking at it through the lens of the time-space considerations, it doesn't make sense if you don't see it as a two-dimensional version of a four-dimensional process. Kooning then shifts to the contemporary scene. There is now, Kooning argues, a, quote, misread project at hand. The futility of getting it right. It's not, he says, just irony, but the impossibility of getting it right. But leaving aside what is really going on in today's contemporary art, Kooning wants to emphasize that people can still look at the art and get something, even if they maybe don't get the whole thing, but they get something. I try to capture his thought by rephrasing it as an artist has a story, some viewpoint, but probably something like 90 or 95% of the viewers are going to get only a small percentage of that viewpoint. Is that enough? He says yes. But then I ask him, but what are they getting? Knowledge? And he says, no, they're getting novelty. But how does novelty, I ask, distinguish itself from distraction? Distraction, he argues, requires that you need something to be distracted from. It presupposes that you had something else that you should do. I give him this point and wonder if maybe in this world where we all live in a heightened state of ADHD distraction, maybe at the core there's just a vacuum. 
Kunig said that art is just the way we deal with the excess time and boredom. But we can't just kill time. That's not, Kunig feels, acceptable in our world anymore. This relates to his previous comment that there's not any more amateurs in the world. This is an interesting point. Now when something does something, it has to be on a professional level because you're necessarily putting it out into the world. You're putting it out into social media. So you can't, just in my words, piddle around. Kuning agrees and says this is what breeds anxiety. It used to be in the culture that encouraged amateurs that one could find a way to kill time and have it be relaxing and fulfilling. Now, with all the increased time we have, we have just demanded of ourselves that we fill it with activities that cause us more anxiety, not less. Because we put it out there for the gaze of others, we don't have the luxury of not being professional. We don't have the luxury of killing time. We end by me referring to Nargajuna's void and the fact that all looking is looking through a lens, some lens or other. What art and philosophy give us by giving the practice of looking through lots of different lenses is really just maneuverability. It's the process of figuring things out, not the figuring it out itself. And, Koenig retorts, it's freedom. It gives us freedom. <laughs>